this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's how you find us. That's where you go. That's where you make the podcast happen. Like the gentleman joining us tonight, he makes the podcast happen. And he has selected an album, Jay. We always like to find stuff that we've never listened to thanks to our listeners suggesting them. And this is, I think, an instance. Is is yeah. this an instance for you, Jay, where you were like, I don't know what this is? Yeah, totally. No idea. So to explain his pick. I'm so proud. <laughs> joining us once again, Mr. Phil Fleming. Phil, welcome back. Hello. I'm sorry. I had to jump in there. That's all right. <laughs> so tell the listeners what you picked and why you picked it. Okay. Well, I picked Thornetta Davis's Sunday Morning Music. And mostly I chose that because of its kind of its pedigree. I was a big fan of the parent band that she kind of sprung out of. Uh, Big Chief out of Detroit and um, it was uh, at the time of its release in 96 it was very different than everything else that was considered alternative at the time so uh, it was it was a R&B blues singer backed by a band primarily known for very loud alt rock and veering into metal sometimes so i and figured that i, I figured the the uh dig me out uh, fans would appreciate that kind of thing well and there's a lot to talk about before we even get into this record uh it was released on sub pop in 1996 if you had told me that this record was released on sub pop i would have been like what exactly that's that kind of blew my mind too <laughs> I mean, it, and it's her only widely released solo record. And uh, she released a, an album in 2016, but that was pretty much only in Detroit. Um, but, right. Uh, yeah. That's an independent release. She also had an album in 98 called Shout Out to the Dust Huffer. Well, that was kind of, that was an EP that was kind of a um, uh, 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 odds and sods kind of thing. Gotcha. It, it had remixes and one song that was kind of an outtake from a Big Chief record. And yeah, I mean, I have that EP too, but and it, it was interesting. But uh, yeah, this uh, this is her only widely released widely released full full solo record. And. So a little bit of backstory from Detroit Mm -hmm. was as a teen was in uh, a number of groups, um, one where they were covering old R&B songs, 
Um, and then she signed a. She so she ended up singing like you mentioned uh, with Big Chief, and that got a recording contract with Sub Pop. And uh, there's an interesting number of people who are involved with this record. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about some of the folks that are involved with well, the making of this record? Well, uh, I mean, Eddie Harsh from Black Crows, well, formerly Black Crows, is all over this record. He's playing piano all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Kid Rock is on a song. I forget which one. I don't have the liner notes in front of me, but uh, yeah, Kid Rock is on on one one track. She's sang back up on a couple of his albums. Yeah, there's a long list of people that are involved in this record. It's and quite, she, she has yeah. connections to Bob Seger. She sang on yep. his 1991 album, uh, "This Fire Inside." So again, with the Detroit connection, mm-hmm. and um, she sang on "Devil Without a Cause" and in '98 and Kid Rock self-titled album in 2003, and on the mm-hmm. single "Waste in Time." Uh, she has been. Uh, basically a kind of a go-to blue uh blues and soul singer for a number of different folks to have on the records and and she's uh performed with the detroit symphony orchestra and um what's crazy is that (laughs) she was nominated in 2007 for the blues music award best emerging artist category for her album honest woman which you would think that that would go to someone who was not, you know, this yeah. deep into their career, exactly. <laughs> that they're an emerging artist, having already sang with Kid Rock and Bob Seger and stuff. But whatever, <laughs> and and release a solo record, you know, ten years prior. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so how did you come upon this record? It was it. Did you? It, it's not necessarily that you discovered it through Big Chief, but like. Did you go into, you know, seek it out or did you stumble upon it at some point? Well, what the singing said, we're kind of in the similar, you know, early 90s college rock kind of circles. Um, I believe it was through the the college rock Bible CMJ. Um, <laughs> and I, re- I remember reading a review of of it basically saying, an R&B singer backed by an alt-rock band? What? And that's all I needed, basically. Um, and then I heard the first song, and I, it, and I said, oh, okay, I get it. And it just went from there. I got to tell you, the description that I read, which is what you just said, before listening to the album, really worried me. I was like, uh-oh, is this going to be like a mashup record that I'm not prepared for. Right. And, and I was almost expecting that when I got it, it back in the day and it wasn't. And, and it was very, it was very reminiscent of the big chief record, uh, Mac Avenue skull game, which is kind of a black exploitation, um, homage and very funky and, and, and not like their normal kind of sound. 
which is more, you know, very loud guitars and, and metal production and stuff like that. And, and as the album went on, it just went further into the R and B and blues area. So let's get into talking about the record. Uh, yeah. Jay, <laughs> how about you tell me one thing you liked about this? Well, I like the ingredients. Um, there's actually a couple bands that uh, are a little bit more recent that um, I like that dabble in this sound. Um, Phantom Limb is one, and the other one is The Bell Rays. So I love the idea of you know a really good, soulful, a powerful singer, um, a pretty honest um, band in terms of usually have one guitar part, sometimes they'll layer in another you know, a good bass, honest bass tone and, and, a, and a solid drummer. Um, and then there's some uh, really great keyboard work um, all over the record, either organ or clavinet or piano or electric piano. So uh, the pieces and parts uh, from a sonic standpoint are there. Um, there's some great performances. Obviously, she's a pretty phenomenal singer. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to like there. Uh, from an ingredient standpoint for me yeah i want to focus on her as a singer for my first one thing which is that uh it just her voice in the right setting as far as tempo and and accompaniment is i like that she is a powerful and full vocal but does not feel the need to get like over the top with it ever. Mm. It's always serving the song and the melody. And she has the chops to like seriously do some damage with her vocal and just go over the top with it. But there's no like, you know, taking a note and bending it seven times like a Mariah Carey style or anything like that. It's, it's very restrained in that sense. And I liked, uh, in terms of what fit her vocal best, you know, it's, it's songs like, um, like only one, which is like the organ ballad, essentially, she does some doubling of her vocal on that for the chorus. And it's just a great soulful ballad that shows off her vocal. And then there's other songs where it gets a little bit more mid-tempo and you start to get the band feel like on the opening track cry when the, you know, it's a nice bluesy sort of mid-tempo song. And then when that chorus kicks in, you get a real gritty guitar, like which uh, when you're listening to like most soul records, you would not get that punch the way that that one that comes in with that guitar. You would just get like a slightly heavier bluesier guitar which right. is where I sort of, in in terms of listening to this, I guess, 
genre of having a heavier backing band i like it when it gets dirtier and grittier and like they're doing on this record where there's some there's some punch to these songs the last track as well has that there's there's a couple of tracks where even they even have like a distorted bass like on the deal where you just get just a little bit more dirt on stuff and and it adds a layer of um just scuzziness that is not typical to listening to uh soul or r&b so Mm. not that i'm an expert in that realm but i've been listening to more of that as i've gotten older and trying to expand my you know listening horizons so it it tends to be a lot cleaner sounds for the most part and a lot of that is because the eras that i'm listening to are are like 60s and 70s they they were not going that direction They're, they're not twisting things like you might hear more um the only thing I could compare it to was sort of like when we listened to like Corey Glover's solo record where he was taking his sort of sound from living color and then adding some somehow adding R and B. Yeah, exactly. No, this is, this is almost R and B and somehow adding alt rot into the equation. And it, I mean, through and through it is a, a, thornetta davis record this is not a big chief record that has thornetta davis on lead vocals yeah um yeah and and now now i just (laughs) of course we have to be you know recording when i have this memory i do remember hearing this record for the first time at a tower records listening station (laughs) and (laughs) and uh, the second that distorted guitar comes in on the chorus of Cry, that's when I was sold. That's when I knew it was different. Right. Yeah, because, uh, you know, this being on Sub Pop blows my mind. I mean, clearly they were looking to expand. Because when I think about what Sub Pop was putting out in the early 90s and the mid 90s, everything was sticking oh, yeah. to their sound. Oh, definitely. There'd be a, maybe a, a detour, but it would still be within sort of the guitar rock genre oh it'd be like a weird song on somebody else's you know loud punky record yeah right so to hear this and especially this being uh hearing things that i I would imagine that like on track two helpless 
which has a very you know it's funny that the guy from the black crows plays on this record because that song could have been a black crows song. easily easily and i cannot imagine the dudes at sub pop being like into the black crows like it just seems antithetical to <laughs> their whole style so it's just it's just weird to me that this <laughs> i still can't wrap my my brain around it southern harmony gets some gets some cred i could see folks in that circle like in that record maybe yeah oh yeah that's true oh yeah they had i mean yeah i mean if there's a com- comparable album to this it would definitely be southern harmony um you know mostly unadorned production pretty straightforward and live sounding yeah so in terms of the things that didn't work jay what what was there that maybe didn't rub you the right way uh i think some of the material to me sounds a little underdeveloped from a songwriting standpoint maybe from a dynamics standpoint and uh i can't quite put my finger on it but it doesn't sound like the band is always um complimenting her as much as they could be there's some stuff where they're kind of getting in her way um with either just complicated bass part with a complicated guitar part while she's trying to sing over top of it and i just found myself a lot of times saying like step back pull back i just want to hear her sing like i want a cool bed a rock you know kind of rock bed under it but i want to hear some dynamics around you know, know how to pull back and focus on her voice and just a, a bit more restraint, I guess. And then combine that with a little bit more dynamics in terms of, you know, playing louder and like working on just how to arrange things, uh, maybe a little bit more sophisticated. You know, it's all these songs are fairly straightforward. You know, yeah. the part starts and the part stays the same and it doesn't really evolve or change. And then the next part comes and then. You know, you hear the verse twice, you hear the chorus twice, you, there's a bridge and it's done. Um, so with the exception of maybe like, uh, I think And I Spin, it's got a little bit more of a jam feel to it. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's, <clears throat> but I think that's been, that was my biggest uh, letdown with the record is that there was a lot of build up in some of these songs um, to where you could hear like a really powerful chorus or a really sad verse or you know, a, a B part, you know, in, in a, in a verse or a chorus that kind of changes, switch things up a little bit. I just felt like the material sounded like maybe it was a little underdeveloped or, or rushed. I'm not sure, but it, it didn't sound as developed as it, as it could have been. I agree with you on there. Cause you mentioned Dan, I spin. That's a really cool song in that everybody does something kind of unique on that song. For mm-hmm. the drums come in, and there's that like big fill that when they do when the drums come in, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. It adds this like drama, and the guitar is doing this whammy bar bend on the on that clean guitar riff, and it adds this slightly dissonant a, a feel to it, which this album mm-hmm. does not have a lot of dissonance going on. So that was cool. And then there's that like plinking little piano part that starts. At, towards the end of the song and then it goes turns into like a full piano outro with the rest of yep. the band and that's a, a good example of like there's dynamics there's interesting use of of 
guitar parts. She's complimenting it all with, you know, great vocals, but everything sort of fits a purpose in that song as opposed to everybody starts, everybody plays throughout the whole song, and then the song ends. I really yeah. would have liked it if, okay, if the bass is doing something interesting, drop everything else out and just let the bass, just have her sing over the bass. Yeah. And there's there's just not enough of playing around with, like you said, like the dynamics. That's that's the real missed opportunity on this record is is there's it gets real samey real fast. I, I felt like the second half of the record is it feels better developed to me. I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm, I get, uh, if it truly is the material is better or, 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 uh, or it's just my perception of going through the record. But the second half I, I have mostly highlighted in terms of liking, um, I think there's more drama. I think, you know, when they rock, I think the deal is the hardest, you know, they rock on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spin, like you said, it's got the, to me, the, the best mix of sounds, um, like you said, the guitars get really lush and kind of warbly and yep. a little bit off kilter. Um, even come go with me to me is the best example of them doing soul. You know, it feels very classic in terms of a soul. Oh, feel. Yeah. oh that sounds like the Supremes or a Diana Ross song, right. like oh, the melody and, and there's a lot of cool little things going on. Yeah. There's like little chimes and there's those like shoo backing vocals. Like there's, there's a lot of thought going into the extra stuff yep. on oh, that yeah. song. Well, I mean, it. I know I picked this, but it, I mean, my compl- if I had a complaint about this particular record, I thought it would be it was very front loaded with what was ultimately the selling point at the time of its release. Um, because this, the second half does have a lot more of the R and B and the and the and the uh, lush arrangement and 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 that kind of thing. I thought if that if if some of some of the stuff in the latter half of the record was kind of pushed up, it would be a lot more varied, and that would have made for kind of a more uh, a more interesting listening experience. Yeah, I do think. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. Like the front half of the record, I think conceptually um, makes 
like when you say, "Hey, this is a um, you know a soul singer over a rock alternative rock band," the first half of the record to me sounds pretty straight like that. Like, okay, exactly. that's kind of what I would expect. And then the second after... half is where it starts to sound like something different. Like, it, it uh, I start to hear their own unique melding of the two more, as opposed to soul singer over rock band. Right, and it, I mean, well, the, I mean, the tempo slows down with the exception of the deal. But yeah. the tempo slows down for the most part, and and it, I don't know it. Like I said, it it's it's very front loaded with the the more rock oriented material. Um, yeah, I mean that that would be my complaint. <laughs> I kind I agree and I disagree. I think that from a, I think some of the songs. See, I I don't love the deal. I think it's. Musically, it's interesting, but I feel like vocally, she's the most buried on that song, as opposed to even the chorus. I, yeah, I, mm. I it, in terms of, I don't find it to be that interesting of a vocal, like a, a yeah, you know. Um, and I have a hard time with box of, box of memories. Just because the tongue is like kind of middling, like it doesn't really have a a chorus, and she's doing this speak sing thing throughout it, and there's it's there's like there's kind of no point to that song. I don't I don't quite get what's going on with it, and it that sort of uh, some, yeah, it, it's to me I, I had it is it's one of the more jam songs on the record. Like there's ideas there that are. Like that melody that she does vocally with the guitar, um, I guess is the chorus, is a cool beginning of an idea, but it sounds like a demo. Like I, I needed it to go somewhere down. dramatically different at some point in the song. Yeah. Like I thought it was going to be like the spoken word cor- verse, and then there was going to be this big melodic chorus yeah. that was going to happen, yeah. and then that just never happens. Yeah. Yeah, I struggled with just the idea of her doing spoken word. I'm like, <laughs> sing, oh my God. Like what? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'll, maybe a line here or two, you know, and a verse is cool to give you some variety. But right, to have somebody with this strong of a voice t- speaking instead of singing is doesn't make a ton of sense to me. What did you think of the Stevie Wonder cover of "You Haven't Done Nothing"? Uh, I didn't know it was a Stevie Wonder you cover. Didn't know that was a Stevie. Oh yeah, really. No, yeah. I mean, I wrote down this sounds like Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Nice. Oh, that's a pretty popular Stevie Wonder song. I'm I'm surprised. That was yeah, pretty big, pretty big hit. I like that song because of the incorporation of horns. I know Jay does not like horns, <laughs> uh, so for the most part, if horns appear, he's not gonna be in favor. I'm okay with it in this setting. And um, I'm I'm good with horns as long as it serves the song. Right. I mean, we hear it in Aerosmith songs all the time and it just sometimes half the time it just doesn't fit. I mean, for this, it totally works. I I feel like it's a pretty faithful cover, although they seem to play it like slightly tuned lower or in a lower key. I don't know. Maybe that's because of where the vocal needs to be. So maybe Mm. they needed to like drop the key a little bit for her but it seems a little heavier than the stevie wonder version although i think the stevie wonder version was when he was a teenager too like it was right. a pretty early 
single for him. That might be why, because he had a higher vocal at that time. Um, but I, I like the tune, and I would love to hear like <laughs> more of her interpretations of you know classic soul and R and B and blues songs. I don't know if she's done any work like that with as far as on her other releases with doing just covers. But I would imagine. Um, well, she's only released one record since this, right? Um, she she's done you know you know, a, a cover song here and there, but she never, it's never actually been released on an album or anything. Gotcha. Mm. So here's the, here's the question with this. <laughs> 1996. <laughs> this is, this comes out. Uh, the Black Crows are still active. I I'm trying to think of other relevant, you know, I guess was this was this the era when like Johnny Lang and um, Kenny Wayne Shepherd were popular? Is this um, that era? It may have been right around that time. Or is this too to early? When that big when that first big record of um, Johnny Lang's came out? Because I feel like there uh, was a blues it was revival like a year later. Okay. Yeah, because I'm just tr- I'm trying to figure out yeah. how this would fit into the '90s in terms of getting it airplay, and I it's it's such an unusual record for that time to be released on what was the preeminent, you know, tastemaker alt rock record record label, and right. So I mean, what are you pushing this to? What stations are you pushing it to, and <laughs> well, how, how do you sell Big Chief as the backing band to, you know, top forty <laughs> radio, or, or I don't know, I don't know, we even know what stations would be at the time that would be, well, playing this. Well, and, and I just looked up Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Johnny Lang, and both of their breakthrough records came out one year later, right? Um, <laughs> and. Um, and, the, and their first initial big bluesy hits were released at that time. Um, for for this kind of thing, I mean, she was she was almost too heavy to be, you know, in the Lilith Fair kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know how she would how she would have been able to sell. I mean, it, I mean, I think that's probably what intrigued me about the whole whole record you know 20 years on um just it was so out of its out of its time just barely (laughs) and um and uh, if it had come out 18 months later it probably would have done a lot better Um, yeah because the only one i can only person i can think of that's comparable really in terms of having, in terms of reaching, would be like Bonnie Raitt. If it's sort of like right. a female blue soul singer. But there, there was a little bit of a like Maxwell's record came out in '96. There was a bit of like a old school, you know, but, soul R and B thing starting to to happen. Like, plus we were like um, neck deep in um, Quentin Tarantino, and you know, right. 70s but, culture and that kind of thing but the, but the added the added 
the fact that it was released on Sub Pop, um, that kind of had, I'm sure that had something to do with it. I mean, Sub Pop is not exactly a label back then that could really push a single. Mm. Um, I mean, because with this record, she did one tour, which I unfortunately missed. Um, She only did one tour to support the record and then kind of retreated back to Detroit and, you know, did her backing vocals thing and, you know, did a did blues did the blues circuit in Detroit. So yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Know. It's a really interesting and, you know, unique album from the perspective of when it was released and who released it. And it just, it doesn't make any sense. I almost want to like email Bruce Pavitt and be like, what is the, why? What were you guys thinking? <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, we did at the time. I mean, Roadrunner was trying to do the same thing. I mean, they were trying to go beyond their designated, you know, genre status. Sure. Um, by by signing somebody like Thornetta Davis or Roadrunner signing, you know, um, what was their earliest pop signing like uh sheila divine right um that's the boston connection there but <laughs> well i guess but, see uh, the, the thing that confuses me and because jay and i you know having been in college radio and and having had a band and understanding how like sort of the promotional aspect works like so sub pop has an established relationship with you know, certain promoters who are used to pushing certain styles of bands. So they're going to be comfortable like, oh, we're going to sign this, you know, four piece rock band from wherever and, you know, whatever part of the country. But they know what stations they're going to push them to and magazines are going to try to get write ups in and and that kind of stuff. But like you would have to hire an, a completely different like promoter and exactly. you'd be pushing to completely different uh outlets because this isn't i get I, I think if if my you know if i was listening to this i wouldn't think if i didn't know that it was big chief backing her i would just think oh she's got a you know kind of a a rockin band backing mm. her the fact that it's big chief adds this weird alt rock credit you know not credibility but like twist and so then you're like, well, which do you push it to? Do you push the angle that it's Big Chief backing Thornetta Davis? Or do you just let the Thornetta Davis thing ride on its own? And where's the – what's – that's where the, the, you know, the trouble becomes, how, you know, if you can't make a decision, then it's not clear how you're going to push it. Then you're probably going to be having trouble pushing it because it's uh, not clear. Well, yeah, it was it, – it was... I mean, just a, just the proposition was a difficult thing to market. I mean, even in even in the in '96, right? I mean, which is probably what really really intrigued me about the record. Um, but it, it, 
that in, you know, that just guitar intro to the chorus of Cry. Um, I, I don't know. It, I mean, it, when I was choosing this record, I just figured it would, it would be perfect for Dig Me Out. So, that's, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... The, uh, another record Sub Pop put out on vinyl that year, Black Love. Oh, Does yeah. That, it all makes sense with with what's yeah. going on in this record a little bit. Okay. I mean, they're obviously... Let's put it this way. I could hear her singing back up on an Afghan Wigs album. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we said that with her... T- I mean, because I... I was listening to her blues album that she released in 2016. And I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely her. She doesn't over sing on anything. And, and I could totally see her, you know, backing up everything, <laughs> singing back up onto every sub pop record that had a melody to it, you know? <laughs> so on our Patreon page, we asked, "Is this a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single?" I and I sure... love how it only got one vote. It got one vote. <laughs> Let's find out if Phil was the one who voted for it. Phil? No, it was not me. I I, I deliberately did not vote. Okay, so uh, where do you land on this? Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? Definitely worthy album. It would be even better if it would, if the tracks if the track list was kind of rearranged to to have it have the varying um, parameters displayed throughout the record. Jay, what about you? Worthy album, better EP or decent single? EP, uh, six songs for me. Uh, I like the second half of the record. Um, I could throw in Sunset or Cry. Um, and I think it would be a solid six song EP. I've got about seven songs, so I'm going to go EP based on those seven songs, but I think it's a, it's really solid. I mean, I think the whole album is worth checking out and you can kind of pick out which songs work for you. Uh, those are the, I got the seven that work for me. Jay's got the ones that work for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, it doesn't sound like, the 90s either i mean it's a very classic sounding record no it's it the, the production is real nice in that it doesn't sound at all I, I, I think you, people would be challenged to know when this came out right you know if you didn't give them any backstory just played it for them they could very well think it just came out well oh, and I, yeah, I was selling this record for years on people <laughs> and i mentioned and it, to phil before yeah. we started talking that i i sampled a little big chief just to know what the heck they sounded like and when i listened to the first uh couple records i was like well this sounds very 90s <laughs> and so it's interesting to hear how they completely reworked their own sort of tone and sound and maybe that was the production end of it but they don't sound the 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 record that came out in 93 um I forgot the name of it now. The face. No, the other one, the, the um, a Mac Avenue. Yeah, game? that, that one had. Okay, ninety four. Sorry, that yeah. has some musical connection. Oh yeah, clearly oh, to this. Yeah. But even that, it's still a little bit beefier than, you know, 
it, it, it has it leans a little bit more towards like I could hear uh, like Josh Ome <laughs> playing some of those riffs. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, in all honesty, like it was between this record and Mac Avenue's Skull Game, <laughs> and uh, um, but yeah, it, it just just the fact that they are so different and it's the same people that the. Yeah, it was so good. Well, Phil, you have truly (laughs) met the Dig Me Out uh, mission statement by finding something really unique and uh, interesting that we had no no idea existed. (laughs) So, nice work. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, No, it it is definitely worth something worth checking out just to just for anybody that that loves that loves music that came out in the '90s, you know, really the last era where anything actually went, anything could be possible to connect to a mass audience, um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a worth a look. So, if you are a listener and you are interested in throwing down the gauntlet, uh, you can join us at Patreon. And help us find records that are as unique as this one, or maybe even uniquer. Is that a word? I don't think that's a word. <laughs> Probably not, but for, it should. I think you're looking for more unique. More we'll unique. Unique. <laughs> uniquer sounds like a total 90s album title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. electronic record. <laughs> there you go. Uniquer. Uh, that will be the electronic band, <laughs> industrial band. Unique. It's a new prodigy record. There you <laughs> go. DMO Union or Dig Me Out Union is where you go to vote on album polls, vote on roundtables. Depending on which tier you're at, we're going to have another uh, roundtable coming up soon that was voted on by our patrons, and of course. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at the iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.